0: Well, thank you for being here on the Redemptification Podcast. Today, I am honored to have a world-changing guy that um, has been around our lives for a while. And uh, it's Dave Blanchard. He's a co-founder and leads Praxis. And it's an incredible community that aims to advance redemptive entrepreneurship. Praxis is focused on supporting the formation and growth of Christian-led businesses and nonprofits, as well as encouraging the next generation of entrepreneurs to commit their lives to redemptive work. And uh, some of the most incredible people that are currently in my life, I met through their organization. So if you're not a part of it, you should know about them. Get your stuff together because they're doing amazing work in the world and they're putting language to the things a lot of us are wrestling. So Dave, thanks for taking a few minutes to hang out with us.
1: John, pleasure to be here. And um, I think it's totally fair to say you, you are one of the amazing people that uh, we get to be a part of uh, uh, having in the community at Praxis and that make it what it is. And so it's a privilege to be here talking with you.
0: Well, I love the the things that you guys, and especially as you kind of really made it an intention of the organization to bring language and, and content and clarity to it. We always feel like sometimes you're trying to wrestle and get your arms around air when you talk about the languaging. And you and Andy and your team have have just knocked the cover off the ball in giving us visual things and common you know, common language so we can speak about these ideas we know are truer than the truest truths of the universe. They're woven in, but it's hard for us to describe it sometime when entrepreneurship has has really a, so much a language that was built um Outside of describing our faith in it. so thank y'all for doing that. So redemptive it kind of does things and forms things you said it forms it challenges, it elevates and it bridges. T- tell us, I mean what made you say, hey, we've got to do something about this this is this is not right. We have to we have to start trying to bring light and bring life to this um, redemptive,
1: Yeah, sure. Well, you know, I think it's, uh, I think it's an important note that when we started Praxis back in 2011, we didn't have that language. Uh, We started off saying we wanted to support Christian entrepreneurs, helping them get mentorship, values-aligned capital, and uh, it wasn't until really six or seven years in where we felt like, you know, there's there's something, there's a conversation in a community that's happening. That feels like more than just Christian entrepreneurs, there's a, a way that is connected to the gospel that we wanted to try to name and articulate uh, for a community of entrepreneurs as uh, both an aspiration, uh, something we could all uh, look towards and think about, um, as well as uh, something we were observing happening in lives and moments and organizations uh, in the community. Sometimes we talk about our work at Praxis as uh Half journalism, half imagination. And that's kind of how we uh, we think about it. And of course, uh, I think you said this in a way, but we're we're not talking necessarily about uh, new frameworks, um maybe new words, but really this just goes back to how God made the earth, uh, how God made uh, men and women, and what um we think, uh, things could and should look like. So uh, when we hear on Earth as it is in Heaven, um, to us that's that's redemptive. Okay, so let's let's get about that work together, and uh, we think it requires community uh, to do it. It's not. It's very hard to do this this sort of thing on your own, kind of as the solo hero. And um, so all these things, I think, uh, kind of work uh intrinsically together um uh, as far as you know what what can we do as Christians who have these entrepreneurial instincts and want to go build
0: yeah and it's kind of you know we say it's it, that working at the intersection of purpose and profits and how do you make your Sunday school teacher and your economics teacher happy at the same time how do you <laughs> wrestle this and and you guys I think you know to think that you just, work hard to bring language to it when you say things clearly you have worked on them diligently that that takes a lot of polishing to say things in a way that 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 really brings it to us and and that's something I honor in what you guys are doing you spend a lot of time I know thinking about these things deeply so you can communicate clearly that God cares about business and he's crazy yeah. happy about our work in yeah. this space.
1: Well, thanks. Thanks for that. And I'll, uh, I'll give uh, the credit where it's due to our incredible team. Um, particularly Scott Kaufman, uh, yeah. Andy Crouch, Ruthann, uh, Devaney now who have, um, who just continue to give attention to those words, um, and draw them out of us. And, uh, you're right. It's, uh, It's a significant undertaking um, that uh, I think like events in a way, um, you know, we kind of can come and go through them. We read something, we go to something, and the people who are making it happen behind the scenes, uh, when it's done well, it's an enormous undertaking. But uh, we have seen it bear so much fruit. And um, so we, uh, you know, thanks to the generosity of many people, we'll continue to be able to do that, I think.
0: Well, and I think people prove to you that they believe in the work you're doing as they come alongside you and say, Hey, we want to partner in be big farmers and we want to put some seeds in some soil and see if we can get a, get a a large harvest. I tell people, I said, if you don't like what you're reaping, you need to talk to the person handling the planting.
1: (laughs) Yes. That's the
0: guy that's messing you up.
1: My, uh, uh, one of our board members at practice, Steve Graves says, uh, you know, the, um, the organization is designed to uh, perfectly to get the the results that it's getting, um, which I think is exactly <laughs> what you're saying. Right. <laughs> um, goes back to the seeds. So,
0: well, I think about the, even through the pandemic, you know, and when y'all guys really started, you were using the online platforms and these chat rooms and all, I, I had to say that I experienced something I'd never experienced in events. When you would put us into these smaller chat rooms and we would have these, these, honest conversations. I met some of the best people and had some of the best conversations. I thought it was different, but I said, this is better than a physical event in some way Mm -hmm. because it's like boundaries forced us to to have these intimate little rooms where we could share with one another. We're so longing for relationship to talk about what's going on. And that was something that really struck me as a surprise and you you guys opened my eyes to the fact that it's different but it has tremendous
1: power well I'm glad to hear uh it was it was helpful and, and glad to hear there's the relationships were formed I think um, that was an interesting time in our history right where uh, not just practice history but as a society where uh, we um, I think brought new new vulnerabilities to the forefront um, and admit we kind of knew everyone was facing something at that time. Yeah. Right. And for us not to talk about it felt, uh, uh, trite or something, um, in a way with each other. So, um, there, there was something, uh, beautiful about that. And, um, uh, the, you know, part of what we're doing at Praxis, we think is, uh, this, this work of creating a dense network, um, which is kind of a sociological idea that, um, uh, the more a network knows itself and the the more people, mm-hmm. you know, inside of it, uh, the more possibilities uh, come out of it and the more uh, the more chance there is for change. So those are some some exciting opportunities, actually, for us to put people together, not just hoping they collided, but saying, hey, <laughs> why don't you why don't why don't we take this moment to to have you meet? So it's exciting to hear that um, that you met met great people there
0: when I love it, I think I was thinking about a tapestry and, you know, a, a community is this way. Is it tangled or woven? You know, if it's mm-hmm. tangled, it looks, it looks unintentional, but woven is with intention. And think about that. I think that's one thing that you guys I, I see in your organization and I'm trying to encourage y'all in the things that I've seen that have impacted us is that you do think about who should be in the room and how we connect together and how does our lives almost harmonize together in a way that we make and add value? Because I I c I don't think we can understate the importance of community and relationships. I mean, mm. every great mm. season of my life started with meeting somebody and so did every bad one.
1: <laughs> I hope I hope the good ones are in practice at least. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, when you get a lot of folks together that really do care about similar things, that they, that they have this you know, this common love and care to want to do something good with what they've been entrusted. It, it's really powerful. Um, so where do you see the redemptive conversation going in the future? I know where we kind of come from, no language to some language and bringing this lint. And you guys are making, you know, common language and, and you're making it visual, which is very helpful, especially for people like me that would be medicated if if I was young today. But honestly, how do y'all think about that? like where's the redemptive conversation going? you think? Yeah. what are some of the ideas?
1: Yeah, thanks for asking. I mean I, I think what the in some ways, you know the the answer uh, is is always to the next stage and 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 beyond. and uh, at the same time, I think actually for a macro framework like like the redemptive framework for those who are familiar with it, you know, which basically says, okay, here's, here's you know, what we build in the world, here's how we do it, and here's who we are as leaders as we go about doing that. Um, we actually think the the next frontier is actually further down in that framework. Um, so, so what does that actually look like? And what does it look like at this particular moment in history? Uh, hmm. So as we think about um, uh, these sorts of things, we've uh, over the past year uh, released a, a list of uh, what we call opportunities for redemptive innovation. Um, that's about 35 different areas of society where we both see, uh, folks in our community working and have some imagination and ambition for what could be there. Um, this is, you know, connected to, uh, I think listeners of this podcast would probably resonate with, uh, we have one kind of macro category called where we live, um, which talks about how are we renewing the neighborhood and what does redemptive design look like in the built environment? How are we think about innovations in global shelter? Uh, things like that that are uh, what we would call is on the Y axis of like, what are we building out there and um, how is it uh, really renewing culture? So we're excited to, with the, the community of folks who are domain experts like yourself, um, really kind of draw those things out and start to package up those ideas and try to articulate them for industries and groups that are are more uh, clearly in there to the extent we can be either helpful doing that or just kind of putting the people together who want to do that uh, themselves, um, which is, I think, you know, you're you're probably a, a leader um, as far as our, our opinion goes in someone who's kind of giving voice to a particular uh, industry and, and place-based way of, of thinking about this. Um, so, uh, so we want to do that. And we also want, uh, as a community of, of workers, effectively, we're talking about work a lot. Think about on that, um, X-axis of our redemptive framework, what, um, what's changing about how we work and how do we weigh in on that, um, uh, as entrepreneurs that, that affects everything. So, you know, one, one thing I think on many of our minds right now is, uh, another, uh, ORI that's the opportunities for redemptive innovation, which is. Uh, how do we think about designing the hybrid workplace for human flourishing? Um, we've gone through that change in a lot of a lot of environments and workplaces, and um, I think there were times where corporations were like, "Great, we're getting more productivity, and like stick it to them, and and we'll get more out of this." And then we've seen uh, kind of employees and, and teams push back on what corporations want for their workplace now uh, in certain ways. Uh, but how could we, as Christian entrepreneurs, be not designing for our own selves, um, or just kind of in this power struggle? But thinking about wow, how could how could we bless families through hybrid work, mm-hmm. and bless new new team members who need mentorship, and just all the things that need to get worked out? So, um, so that's uh, those are just a couple examples of where I think we can kind of go down further into the framework uh, and uh, explore the space as far as. Um, what Christians can contribute to the creative action of this time, which is really the macro question that that governs us at Praxis.
0: Yes, yeah, neat I, I love that. You know, some of my mentors used to say, "John, you can go deep or you can go wide, but if you'll if you'll honor going deep, you get to go wide." And so wow. that 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 deepness of it, and I love that your framework has is thoughtful enough. You can continue to build on it as a as a way to think about things, it gives you a mental construct, a framework to hang all of these ideas on and um, and to allow you to wrestle the truth. You know, I've been thinking about a number of things. Like the first thing, mentorship, coaching, discipleship, these different in therapy. And I've kind of thought about this way. A lot of people seem to not they 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 don't understand that they kind of use mentorship, coaching and even sometimes therapy and, and Christian counseling interchangeably. Mm. And what I've personally experienced is mentorship is when there's a relationship where someone shares wisdom from the journey that they live. They're giving what they've been living. And so it has this framework. Here's what I experienced in this situation. Here's when I had to close a business or here's when I went through having to lay people off. It's these, they share stories and there's wisdom of God embedded in their story to help you make decisions. Yeah. Coaching seems to hold the environment and believe that that if they ask courageous questions, you have the answers inside of you and they'll bubble up. And then therapy seems to be dealing with specific issues of trauma and helping you work through those things. What I've learned as we do it, I try to identify which one I'm doing. (laughs) Can I could I coach you on this? Could could I mentor you in this? And I think that's important. You guys provide a number of different things. First for entrepreneurs who are trying to start their businesses and then people who are scaling and growing their business, trying to wrestle how to be a Christ follower in a new way in it. And then also you kind of accelerate and build this. Talk a minute about how you guys envision mentoring in kind of a different areas in coaching. Like How does that show up in y'all in the different categories where you guys invest in people?
1: yeah, well, first i love I love this framework. I'm going to take it back to my team. Uh, it's sure. uh, really helpful. I think you know, as we think about our programs, uh, certainly, we hope that, um so we you know, we work with twelve businesses and twelve nonprofits every year in our accelerators. And we bring in about thirty mentors, is what we call them, really for a short term burst, twenty four hours to meet. And we've never uh, seen, I'm sure there are some, but we've never really seen a, a matched, pre-matched mentoring program that really sticks because you never quite know, like, why does somebody, why does somebody stick with you as a mentor? You know, it could be that. Well,
0: why do you pick your spouse, huh? Yeah. So it's, it's a little
1: hard to yeah, codify can, that thing. You kind of fill it out. And maybe, you know, maybe to your point, there's like a story that stands out. You're like, wow, that, that story evidences. um meaningful things to me that, that I, that I connect with. Um, And we, so we, we create kind of a, a, you know, a scene of mentoring around these entrepreneurs and hope that one or two or three of them stick around over time. Sometimes they're placing capital. Sometimes they're joining boards. Sometimes they're just great friends to them. Um, And uh, and at the same time, to your point, we believe that mentoring can happen in a 40 minute conversation uh, with a stranger, a stranger you've just met, you know, the, the, that morning and, um, things, wisdom can be transferred. So I think as we think about those programs though, we also have our own team members who are, uh, coaching effectively those entrepreneurs, uh, through the program, they may not be in a a more
0: ongoing process. So you've got these events that touch them and, I think about Jess, you know, I've probably got the best list of mentors ever. I think I say, God, you must love idiots to put the kind of people in my life that I have. But I think about Jess Carell and my relationship with him. And in the first 40 minutes, Ash and I met him, we turned our whole life upside down. He said things that her and I had been had God working on our hearts. And he said, John, you need to stop growing and need to build more margin in your life and you need to. What got you here won't take you where you want to go. Will you commit to not growing in debt anymore until you get to a certain point? And Ash and I, what we say is when our heart hums like a tuning fork, when someone speaks to our heart and not our head, we yeah. know the Spirit is is talking to us and not something new we never heard before, but something we've been wrestling with and God's been speaking to us anyway. And um, when Ash and I get in unity and say amen, we think it has all the power of God's hand on it as husband and wife. So I agree with what you said. You're setting up these opportunities for God to speak to people through people who have wisdom and care. And so I like the way you put that. I think that's a great thing. And those people may have never met if you didn't make that opportunity possible
1: well that, you know and that gives us a, a lot of joy to be able to play that that role and and i think just to you know speak to your last point too on the therapy front like i would just encourage investors uh who are partnering with entrepreneurs to think about uh some of the traumas that they're experiencing too we oh, yeah. we don't do that work in house but we certainly look for chances to refer people or recommend and say hey you know whether it's going to get a spiritual director or going to uh like some some serious uh therapy times. Um the the entrepreneur is a uh I think it's as as one, I can say I think we're a troubled bunch. Um, and uh, <laughs> right. and we get ourselves into situations that only create more of it. Um and uh it's you know our our resilience I think that that's part of that. But um sometimes uh folks need a little bit of a nudge to get that too.
0: Well and I agree with that. I tell people I said let me tell you it's it's you know, forgiveness is if God had a currency, it would be forgiveness. And and one way we know and, and for our own self and our team and the, the companies and the cultures we lead is I say, if you're arguing with somebody in the shower and they ain't there and you're winning, you got nuclear waste in the basement. you got to <laughs> deal with this. Thing. And I said, all of us honestly have nuclear waste in the basement. We've been sure. hurt and their stuff, and um, it's by God's grace he brings it up, and uh, we need help. I mean, entrepreneurs, I, I tell them, so if you're a Ferrari, a lot of maintenance required, <laughs> you know, and so <laughs> I, I need like an car team, and, and honestly, today, I still spend seven hours a week in active, me being mentored, coached, and, and therapy and it's still a huge part of my life. Now, yeah. I do think it's because we extravagantly belly flopped early in our life. So I <laughs> I built a lot of material to work on, but we need I, we want I'd love to give entrepreneurs the freedom to say, "Hey, if you need help, that's awesome.
1: Get yeah. it." Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, amen. Amen.
0: And so one thing I think is interesting too is um the kind of the emergence of husband and wife entrepreneurs and ash and i probably this is something you know i I say if you get if you get sideways with your with your spouse and they're your partner or your cfo you're sideways at work and sideways at home and uh (laughs) and um that that's not easy and 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 we call them hats like uh, so who just who just said that i You know, that I'm a pain in the butt. Was that my was that my spouse or my CFO or was that my friend or my fellow believer? And so those of us who work with close relationships, we have fellow believer hat. We're partners. We're collaborators. We're employees. We're whatever. And so as you all see that, do you see any um, uptick in people believing they can be entrepreneurs together, husband and wife,
1: team's? You know, uh I, I'm not sure I have enough data to see uh to to comment on whether the trend is going up. I think um we we do see that. I think every year um we have let's call it two to three out of our 24 organizations that are led by uh couples. Um get out of here. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Uh and um in fact, the the guy Ben Bohannon, who leads our business program. Uh, in portfolio, he uh, he and his wife Liz ran a company together for ten years um, as co CEOs. Awesome. So uh, that's a particular passion point that he he loves to speak <laughs> in, um, uh, with its uh, with its unique challenges. I mean, I think what I feel like I I often hear is um, uh, at the founding stages either a deep passion for that. Or, or the opposite of like, no, no way. There, it's very
0: polarizing, that. right? That's Nobody's, right? I say if you're in between, it's kind of like straddling a barbed wire fence. You're going <laughs> to have right. to pick. So That's Ash right. and I have, have codified a Christian conflict we have and with our team and together as heated fellowship. And uh, it's a part of being believers. Conflict yeah. is normal, neutral, and natural. It's what you do with it. Um, Is that some of the things your guys programs help is in these early stages and as you're bringing people together, help them understand conflict and dealing with one another and making decisions and those kind of things is tell us some of the things that you see over and over that these startups, your accelerator, you're having to you're having to give them some some way to deal with.
1: Yeah, I mean, the do- the dominant uh I think outside perception and sometimes in inside perception in the industry uh of why startups fail is they couldn't find product market fit. So just didn't, you know, just didn't have the creative connective energy with the market uh or they couldn't find the capital. Uh they were trying to raise the money and they ran out or so on and so forth. Uh the data actually shows that the majority of of startups actually fail because of co-founder tension and Mm. people not being on the same page. So just early stage conflict. um, Sometimes that's rooted in, frankly, bad equity sharing decisions or changing roles. Um, Of course, things like internal power and decision-making change over the course of the first 24 to 48 months, I think, in some significant ways. Some people are Bringing capital to the table, some people are bringing skills to the table. Some of those skills are more needed or less needed at different (laughs) stages. So there's a lot of dynamism there that I think requires uh, substantial um, humility, uh, kind of co formation, uh, investment in personal relationship with the person you're you're starting with. Of course, you have uh, uh, this is one of the pros I think of starting a, a venture with your spouse is that you know a lot about each other and hopefully you're committed to each other. And so you can, uh, you can navigate some of those things instead of being surprised by them. But uh, we do spend a a good amount of time um, thinking about uh, where is, is where's co-founder tension showing up and um, uh, sometimes are able to, to mediate conversations that are getting tense and, and other times are not able to. And uh, uh, sometimes uh, things go sideways uh, on us, but, um that that is such a a big thing i think and and it's connected to the you mentioned decision making uh where you know some of that stuff really comes alive when there's a perception of hey two co-founders we're 50 50 partners how do decisions get made um this is an area again where i think we have a a lot to learn in the entrepreneurial world from uh marriage And where uh, if we are, um, at least as Christian entrepreneurs, putting Christ at the center of our work, like we should be doing at the center of our marriage, uh, Mm -hmm. I think that brings a humility to that process. Uh, It asks for us to not just go on our own human wisdom, but. Uh, submit to the Lord in prayer, uh, these major decisions we're we're undertaking. Uh, One of my mentors, a guy, Terry Looper down in Houston, wrote a book called Sacred Pace. um, Fabulous. Yeah. So we talk about that with all of our founders of just how do they get neutral and get their will out of the way uh, on this stuff. Um, That's, you know, even if you, even if you struggle in that process, if you're willing to go through it, you're going to, you're going to make a lot of, you're going to avoid a lot of uh, interpersonal uh, conflict, I think.
0: Well, in the Bible, you know, in the multitude of godly counselors, there's wisdom, and so we're looking for what's the wise thing. and And I do think having adult supervision in some of these conversations with men and women who have been through it, who care for you, and uh, who can help you get to the place of being neutral, is is powerful. Um, it's funny it, it, how powerful it is to have some sense of accountability. Because to be in authority safely, you need to be under authority, and and that really is for me as Ash and I have always had, by God's grace, godly men and women who are willing to to, to share with us what you know their, the wisdom they found along the way, and to take biblical wisdom and make it applicable with business, and that's another bridge you guys make. It's one thing to read something in Leviticus; it's another thing to bring and put it into how we're going to make widgets or do this or that or run our car wash or our restaurant. So it's interesting. There's a lot of pieces there. I'd like to pivot and start talking about a little bit more redemptive real estate. Um, I yeah. think this is an area where there's a lot of things uh, that need to be brought to the, the surface, the real estate industry, the um, yeah. the way we think about buildings and the way we think about, you know, especially the value chain from the capital it takes to do them to the construction it takes to create them to the teams it takes to 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 make that happen to operations yeah. and then to the generational stewardship. There's God's a, interested in place and He even's kind of an interesting builder. You look in. I told people I said if you read the Old Testament, sometimes you're going to think that heaven may look like a TBN set. It's <laughs> going to have a lot of trim in detail everywhere. So if you don't like trim, you're a minimalist, you may be in trouble because I think he's into the stuff.
1: Uh, I'm gonna be in trouble. I'm a minimalist, but hey. <laughs> so he
0: may have little trim for you, just a little bit small, basic trim, but I'm gonna go I'm gonna go hang out
1: with the Bauhaus Christians. <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> well you think about those angels where their wings touch the walls and touch it's like this I mean that thing was over the top. It was <laughs> So, so what do you see in, in the real estate world, redemptive? What are some of the questions coming up? What are some of the things people care about? What are, how are you seeing actually people operating that? Because it seems like a lot of people are doing real estate and put redemptive on it, but I can't see the, that there's any meat underneath that.
1: Sure. Uh, Well, I think there's a, I think there's a, a, uh, of course, the majority of what we see out in the world. um, and, And I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it's necessarily uh, divided by Christian and non-Christian, but I think we're, you know, uh, in a um, hope, hopefully ethical world, and mostly exploitative, uh, frankly. Um, of course, real estate uh, demands uh, control over land and uh, usually um, uh, needs uh, low, uh, lower-skilled workers to do a lot as fast as possible. And so, um, unless we're very thoughtful about it, um, uh, we can slide into just kind of traditional business models that I think, um, just, you know, do, do traditional things and, and, and make traditionally very good profits. Um, and so, uh, I think there's a lot of people rethinking, uh, all of those components in different ways. Um, when we, when we think about redemptive, we, uh, I would say to, uh, our hope is that, uh, christians especially are holding up the ethical baseline across all areas of their work and usually finding one or two or three places they can really push the redemptive edge um no no organization can um, just be like off the charts in every single category area it's just you know uh that's um that's hard but certain people are called to particular things so i think um you know I'm, i'm sure you you are uh aware of, uh, of many things. I think recently in our, in our portfolio, I think of, um, launch capital, uh, Jimmy Wright, Michael Hall, um, some of the things they're doing as far as the, the intentional, um, housing of refugees and immigrants, um, in apartment communities. That's awesome. Those
0: That's, guys are uh, doing a great job. That's a great example, as you said, of finding an area that you can make a difference in. Cause you know, if you chase 20 rabbits, you catch no rabbits. Right. You got to figure out what you're after, and um, right. what we our common friend Pete Oates, and, and and he's been a great mentor to us is is how do we measure social, spiritual, and economic capital within a real estate project? From, um, and and what what Pete's taught us, and we've started using in a greater way is it's easy to measure economic capital because it's it's outputs, it's return on investment. Those are those are simple. In in social and spiritual, you measure inputs. And yeah. so what you do, you measure the activities you have, the redemptive activities, not the result of those activities only. So that's mm. kind of like you measure how many um, you know, uh how many people did you do financial literacy with on the job sites that you helped, you know? Yeah. And and then you'll start seeing our goal is that the people that build places could afford places, you know, and that, 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 that beauty yeah. and um that to be beautiful and affordable, shouldn't be disconnected from one another. Cause Ash says that beauty is a result of love. Mm. And mm. she said, um you know, that, that, that if we'll, if we'll love things, they'll be beautiful. Our wives are beautiful. Their faces are beautiful because they're loved and our kids. And even, in your New York City, when you walk around the corner and somebody's got a little window box, you can tell if it's loved, right? And so love shows up; it's clear. And we said, let's do sophisticated real estate development with love, and and I think trying to figure out how to put love in it is is one way to think about what you're doing. Yeah,
1: yeah that's fantastic, and I mean that's we we uh, certainly um, invoke that word a lot around here as well. Um, and I think, you know, to, to the point of redemptive real estate, it's, um, love is in, it's in the people, it's in the place, it's in the product. (laughs) Um, and there's plenty of opportunities to, uh, to, to deliver it as a, as a, as a, a, a thing that, um, just requires heart, I think, um, at the end of the day. So I think, and that's some of the other place ways, you know, I think we're seeing like, uh, real, some very interesting things being done in workforce development on this front mm-hmm. um, that's connected to real estate. We've got a guy in our class this year, Wyatt um, Smith, uh, who's Venture Up is Great guy. Yeah. Focusing on, you know, I mean, he's working with HVAC workers, helping them get placed into jobs and um, uh, what a, you know, what a thing our country needs uh, right now. So um, meaningful to,
0: work is such a huge part of living a redemptive life. I mean, I tell people, I said, from addiction recovery, the the, when we have a love for beauty and broken things, and and um, you know, addiction is 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 still rocking our nation. I mean, one of our team members lost a sibling to to addiction uh, overdose just a few days ago, and it's it, it touches all of us. No one, and and one thing I found as a former. Addict and as someone who helps addicts is mean meaningful work is a key thing mm-hmm. to get men and women off of addiction because yeah. you, you have God designed us to work and he designed it to be something we love deeply and and pursue passionately and do, does things exponentially. I said, if God gets you a hold of what you really love doing, you're going to feel like a mosquito nudist colony everywhere you look is going to be opportunity.
1: Yeah. 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 You, you know, as you're talking about that too, I think it reminds me of uh, another thing I'd say is happening in redemptive real estate in our, in our program. There's a group, uh, I don't know if you've uh, connected with Immerse Arkansas at all or Eric, Eric Gilmore down there, but um, they're building these beautiful uh, uh, facilities for uh, youth transition who are coming in mostly in addiction um, as, as orphans um, just, uh, and creating a, like a community place and and living space for them to um, imagine a new future for their lives. Um, so it's, it's, it's great. I know they've had some folks partner with them who have the real estate, real estate expertise, um, to, uh, to make some of these places come to pass as well. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, there's all these different angles, right?
0: Well, and I'll highlight that. And you know what that is? That's the the goodness of God to put in the hearts of men and women something that they have a passion, and and have a most everyone giving in this way is comforting others with something they've been comforted with. Yeah, they're they're saying, "Hey, I went through this, and I see this, and and yeah. and I want I want to share it with you." And uh, it's it's a powerful thing, and and we see, of course, from our lens, we see historic small towns now in special projects like unique redemptive projects. We're now in 12 cities around America, stewarding over $2 billion worth of this. And it, what's surprising to me is first I had no, they, people used to ask us, well, how do you do this? I said, I have no clue. I've been drinking Maylocks and making payments and I wasn't really sure. But as we've taken the time to go back and codify what worked and didn't and now seeing it at scale, um i've got dreams for 100 cities around america that people would love them and redeem them mm-hmm. as places of uh, of 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 human flourishing that they would measure flourishing and uh have a flourishing score and, and uh so
1: there's what? great
0: things coming and i'm grateful we get I, our prayers front row seats to miracles we just want 50 <laughs> yard line seats they don't have to be our miracles but we want to be there
1: <laughs> I, I feel like I, I feel like I get that uh all the time uh I I um this is a one of the one of the features of my uh job that I I don't know if I fully realized when we started is just sitting next to amazing people and seeing what God is doing through them and with them and um yeah it's it's beautiful
0: well you've been able to live open-handed enough to do that I remembers you and Josh were start I mean how I met you guys is through somebody that I love and that's Steve Garber he yes. has added so much value to my life when he speaks my heart just lights up um hmm. the words he says and he's such a um a beautiful uh just person to almost a psalmist of words and things yeah. I say Steve your words are so beautiful and and uh, you guys have have really both of you are are making a massive difference in the world by leading organizations that you are willing to live open-handed with. And so that's huge. That goes into my next question. Where's Praxis? Where could you be and should you be in the next five, 10, 15 years? Like how how do you see it? Do you have ideas of what y'all hope come to pass?
1: Yeah. Yeah, certainly. Um, we're, uh, we're always, always thinking about the long-term as a, uh, an organization that's talked about a 30 year vision for, um, uh, almost all of our existence. Um, we're thinking about where, where could this go? Of course the world is changing at such a rapid rate too, that like, okay. Uh, the, uh, the 15 year plan went out the window for a couple of years there with the uh, COVID 19 and whatnot. So I, I think, you know, as far as practice goes, um, uh, it's it's a, a couple things that are are really on our minds. So the first is uh, what I mentioned earlier, which is just going down further into uh, these these different issues and industries, really saying, okay, how how do Christians respond to the major issues of our time? And I think we're um we're interested in how how can we create a system and a process of content and community and ventures? that allow for that to just go forward in many, many different ways, probably that we can't uh, totally grasp or imagine right now. But we feel like we have a, a certain grace and trust as far as bringing people together um, of a particular variety and heart that um, uh, we just want to continue to unlock. And so uh, one of the ways we're doing that uh, uh, here in, in the near future is kind of relaunching this uh, this thing called the Redemptive uh, Innovation Studio um, where we're going to bring together folks for these conversations, um, we're going to have entrepreneurs and residents who are thinking about what's next for them. Oftentimes, serial entrepreneurs um, who uh, want their next project to be in that more in that kind of redemptive moonshot category, if you will, and um, and really just try to c- continue to cultivate um, a environment out in the world where when a Christian entrepreneur, uh, come, comes of age, uh, whenever that age is, whether it's 12 mm. or, or 40, um, they're like, oh, here's, um, here's a method. Here's how it applies to industry. Here's how I can think about issues here, are four or five exemplars who are doing that. Here's a community mm. I can connect with. Um, that, that feels very exciting for us on that kind of depth, depth side of things. At the it's same almost time.
0: like a platform for purpose, you know. It's like you yeah. guys. The iPhone is a platform. I'm sure Steve Jobs had didn't have a clue all the things people would create with it. And you guys are kind of building this redemptive platform of tools and yeah. mindsets, and so people can have a chance to come in and bring their genius. Yeah, from a position of care.
1: That's exactly right. That's a, a great way of, of putting it. So and the other, the other thing I was going to mention, you know, is um, we also want to, uh, there's a, a guy, maybe, you know, uh, Peter Greer, um, mm-hmm. CEO of Hope International, let's say five, six years ago, he really encouraged me to think about um, how practice as a, as a nonprofit 501c3, like, we're really a public benefit organization, everything we have should mm-hmm. be open, openly offered to the world um uh as just uh, not just a structural thing but from a heart perspective and so we have really really thought okay how do we open up our model to be not something that just we operate or we expand um, but really that we can give away to uh trusted people uh in different environments so uh we're really excited about uh, a new initiative called redemptive labs which um is led by john hart and uh mel murray on our team and they're, they're taking, uh, basically our accelerator model, um, but shrunk down into a three day, uh, experience, um, mentor driven for a handful of ventures, but could be run in a local community, uh, of, you know, a variety of, uh, a ways or an organization. And, uh, we just want to see those kind of populate around the world. So, you know, this, this year, uh, we've, we've just had a couple get off the ground, but we've trained folks in, uh, to do these in Singapore and Mongolia and Austin and Indianapolis and um just we we would love to see redemptive entrepreneurship become commonplace around the world mm-hmm. And we don't want to be an obstacle to that. Actually, we want to make sure to be giving the templates and the content and the the process, uh, and letting people contextualize it in their own environment with their own uh, countries and cities and so on. So uh, we're very excited about the the possibilities of that over over the next fifteen years as well.
0: Well, that's sowing seeds. You know, we think about our investments and our things as BBs, baseballs, and bowling balls. <laughs> okay. and we say you can fit a lot of bbs between bowling balls so i love the fact that you're just dropping seeds of goodness and of your framework in these places so they can grow in communities because one thing we long for is in in many of us living in small play, small towns is is some connection and community around it you it in events you provided in online support and content but man is it nice when we can have you know they say it's funny just in real estate and a multi multifamily if, if 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 the person the resident has one friend their retention goes up eighty percent wow that tells wow. you what it means to have a friend you know alongside yeah. it and God's minimum wow. minimum kind of number on team is two when you're going after a donkey you send it two folks after it so That's um right. I'd love to talk to you forever. I want to hit three questions at the end because you are uh, loaded with wisdom. I love picking people like you, like a fish, because I say uh, there's a lot of meat on there we can get to help us see things. You know, there's gold inside of people. We just got to be willing to move dirt. And, uh, mm. That's one thing I think your your tools do is move all the things that are not gold and help us see a little a little clearer And your team john and andy all y'all guys are just really really great folks that we're we're grateful to have in the world um so the question and you already hit a couple of them i'm gonna try to put the links of all the great folks you already highlighted but who do you know doing good work in the world you say you guys gotta know about this person
1: yeah um man so so many uh so many folks to choose from i think i'm gonna go with um one that's emerging uh though you may know him uh uh, a, a multi multi-time practice fellow uh by the name of jonathan robinson uh down in birmingham alabama um jonathan is um started has started a, a company called hire and um their 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 purpose and focus is um i think very important in our time so he he basically said okay um what is amazon doing to local communities and local business mm. and um, what are we going to do about that? There's actually a lot of uh, customer sentiment um, against Amazon, um, but we're also all kind of hooked into the immediate delivery and it's just so convenient. How can we possibly scope it out? I know this, especially as a New Yorker, um, where <laughs> it's just like our lives run on it. And so um, so Jonathan did an interesting thing. In the middle of the pandemic, he bought a small bookstore in downtown Birmingham and decided, decided to connect it to a digital platform um, and uh, launched basically a local Amazon Prime. So um, recurring members uh, pay $79 a year. They have access to uh, the inventory of the bookstore, but also um, many different businesses in the area. And um, he's got a community space, which can bring people in. They can connect with each other because if we don't go shopping, actually we don't see each other and we can just kind of like be in our place. So um, uh, he's got, uh, he's got over a thousand members signed up for this, uh, a really uh, vibrant uh, prototype and he's looking to launch uh, in multiple cities. And I think it's just a a beautifully redemptive uh, response to, uh, you know, a problem that convenience at scale has sort of created in our lives almost gradually. And then like all of a sudden, right. It's like, Oh, I, I'm, I, I do my life differently. Um, so
0: I can judge my level of understanding by the amount of cardboard boxes that I'm trying <laughs> to deal with, but I'd love to meet him. I haven't heard about his work and I'd love to highlight him. Thank you for sharing that. Okay. What have you done? Cause you've had a lot of incredible experiences to be a young man. What have you done that we should do?
1: Yeah, I've been very fortunate. I think I'm going to take a cue from a word you used uh, just a minute ago, um, which was fish. Um, So uh, a particular passion of mine is uh, snorkeling. Um, Oh, wow. And so I I figured maybe it's a little out of the box answer, but I've always felt like the strongest apologetic for faith in the world is beauty. And I think if we go underwater and we see that underwater, God has like done this marvelous, just amazing thing with everything. And we can't even see it most of the time. You just kind of get the idea for the extravagance of of God's capacity as a creator, his care for the earth, um, his joy that he must have in us going around the corner and seeing that beautiful fish or that turtle, mm. uh, floating through the, the ones. Uh, so I, I, you know, I had the chance to take my, uh, two eldest boys, 12 and 10, um, down to, uh, to St. John, which is one of the uh, beautiful snorkeling spots around wow. and seeing their imaginations and, uh, hearts and lives, uh, I think just fill up in that. Um, like mine had when I first did it, um, makes it an experience that I would recommend to anyone um, uh, for so many reasons. So that's what you got.
0: Fabulous answer. I love it. My heart's going nuts. as you say that? Um, (laughs) It is wonderful. And lastly, and I know you read a lot, but give us one. What have you read that we should read?
1: So I'll, I'll uh, I'll go with a, a lesser known favorite of mine. Um, I, uh, I am a, a huge fan of a book called, uh, alternative to futility, which was written in 1949 by Elton Trueblood, um, who is, I think he was a, a Quaker pas- pastor that ended up advising presidents and, and all sorts of things. But, um, I love it. I love the book because we found it after, um, uh, I actually got it from a friend of mine, Evan Loomis. I think you probably know Evan, oh, yeah. uh, and, um, you know, I, I think we got it way, well after deciding on redemptive entrepreneurship. But Trueblood's basic, uh, basic dialogue in this book is that uh, the futility is is based around the futility of uh, large environments where we don't know anyone that are depersonalized. Um, and in some ways, I think uh, this this view of like uh, this this cultural view that you know scale is the answer to everything um and and we need to kind of take over and instead he really says you know what we need are redemptive fellowships that's his language redemptive fellowships that are really on fire for christ and that are going on adventure together and um if i think about what i want our praxis community to feel like i want it to feel like this small dense network of really active people that are like, let's adventure together and let's go to a hundred cities and, you know, let's, let's do some of these, these big dreams that need miracles. And uh, that to me is, I think the vibrancy of faith Um, it's the possibility for the entrepreneur. And um, like I said before, it really has to happen in community and fellowship with each other. So, um, so that's just become uh, uh, an old favorite. Sometimes I buy the uh, used copies on Amazon, just so I have a few around.
0: I love, see, you just did what you do. Redemptive fellowships going on adventures together. I mean, you guys, you curate wisdom and uh, and it's such a blessing. Dave, thanks for taking a few minutes. Um, I don't, I had seen you as much lately as I'd like to, but I, I want people to know if you want, if you know people that need help getting their business accelerated, if you want to invest capital, if you want to, Love on entrepreneurs, and if you want to support something that's charging hell with a squirt bottle, you need to know about Praxis. So check these guys out. All the links will be in the um, in the show notes. Dave, thanks for your time, and we'll keep praying for you guys as y'all go forward. We we need you in our world and uh, making making the the idea of redemptive entrepreneurship, putting the cookies on a low shelf where everybody can get to them. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, thanks, John. It's a privilege to talk with you and uh, um, keep pressing on in your own work too. It's uh, important.